If you are brand new, I am Tyler. I'm the pastor here. So good to see you. Thank you for the one woo. I'll take it. Um, always, oh, two woos. It's growing. Okay. No. Uh, here's the deal. Uh, we are in the middle of a series titled One City at a Time. And if you haven't been here, basically it's birthed out of the book of Ephesians. Given a little bit of context, Ephesians is six chapters. It's a small book. First three chapters is the calling of the church. Uh, last three chapters is the conduct of the church. Pound for pound, page for page, the book of Ephesians is the, I would say, the best epistle. This is not me, but commentary theologians on the mission of the church. It's a masterpiece. It really is. Ephesians 1 and 2 is this theological symphony of salvation. Unpacks the Trinity. It's, it's, it's full of controversy also in the sense that a lot of people debate on um, Calvinism, Arminianism. We are not touching any of that. Sorry. Okay. Uh, we should talk about the love of Jesus. Is that cool? Uh, so the first week, if you were here, we talked about in uh, Acts 19, when Paul comes to Ephesus, uh, Popo's on the move. Get him. Get him, Popo. Uh, sorry. I, if I hear things, I will address it. Okay. Um, yeah, it's just, it's what I do. Um, so we, first week, we were in Acts 19, and we see Paul coming to Ephesus. And what we talked about, if you weren't here, we basically talked about how the gospel disrupted a city. Ephesus was 250,000, diverse, rich, affluent, all the above. Uh, it had the Temple of Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the world. It was the eastern gate to Asia. It was one city that was disrupted by the gospel, and 200-plus towns and villages around it heard the uh, name of Jesus, and it changed everything. So the gospel comes into a city and it disrupts hate, it disrupts bondage, it disrupts depression, because when you lift the name of Jesus up, it's all over. Paul didn't come into a town and tear other things down, he just lifted up the name of Jesus. So we talked about how we're gonna lift the name of Jesus up. Week two, we talked about grace being a force. Grace is not some just thing to be analyzed. Grace is a force that takes sinners and makes them saints, takes atheists and makes them apostles, takes somebody like a murderer like Paul, whose name was Saul, and made him one of the greatest apostles of all time. Then we talked about the, the responsibility of a saint, that when you taste the kingdom of God, that it's not just for you, but you're supposed to share the kingdom of God. And today we're gonna to talk about love. And if you've ever been to our church, every single series, one of the messages is all about love. Our goal is to be the most loving church on the planet. Uh, we're on a mission to change the world one person at a time. And we don't think that changes by strategy. I believe the love of God, I believe the power of God, the gospel message of Jesus changes everything. So the title of my message is One City at a Time, A City Ambushed by Love. A City Ambushed by Love. That's going to make sense in just a second. And before I even dive into it, I want to unpack something about love. Some people, when you hear the last few weeks of my messages, if I'm just being honest, you hear grace, you hear love. And one of the biggest things is people, well, what about holiness? Are, are you light on sin if you're all for grace? No, no, no. I believe grace is the big bad guy. When sin gets big, it says that grace gets even bigger. And I believe that love is the fuel of everything. I believe that if you want to destroy sin, have people fall in love with Jesus. If you haven't fallen in love with rules, man, legalism bursts religion. Love bursts holiness. Think about it. Love is this passionate thing that made God the Father send his son. He loved the world so much that he literally love fueled him to go die and destroy sin on a cross. Love in the Bible, it shows that it's possessive and it's protective and it's jealous. When I get married, when I, I married, six years. <laughs> Me, when I get married. What's up, girl? Come on now. Rachel Johnson, everybody, also known as Queen Bushki. Come on now. That's her. I call her the Bushki. What? No, don't do that. It's not in my mouth. Shut it down. Shut it down. Okay. Okay. I'm going to shut it down. I'm going to shut it down. 
I, I forget my name. Queen, I'm King Boo. Is that my name? We'll talk later. Okay, whatever. Okay, anyways, anyways, I'm not shutting it down. I'm going farther. Here's the deal. When I said yes to Rachel, this love that I have for Rachel now, it's, it's, it's protective. I'm in love with her, so I say no to everything else. Not like golf, but like girls. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> Digging a hole over here. Just digging a big old hole. When you say yes to Jesus and you fall in love with the Lord, it changes everything. It changes your appetite. It changes what you want to live for. And so I believe that we're going to uh, birth a church, and we are birthing a church that is going to be fueled by the love of God, not the religion of man. And so we're going to watch in Ephesians 3, which we're about to read. I'm going to pray first. It's the pinnacle of the book, if I'm just being honest. I, I, you read this, and you read the commentaries. Timothy Keller, one of my favorite authors, pastors, apologetics, even theologian, I'll give him that. This, this is what he says. This is the, the creme de la creme, the, the, the pinnacle of the book of really what the author, uh, Paul, being used by God to write literally words from heaven to us that would transform a church and change a city and maybe change the world. So my prayer today is that you would you'd be ready to receive something. I don't believe the Lord has a giving problem. I believe we have a receiving problem. Be ready to receive something I believe that maybe could change your life forever. Does that sound good? Will you bow your heads with me? Oh, Father, we need you this evening. Lord, as we dive into your word, may, may it do what the word says, that may it pierce our heart, may it set us free from things, may bondage break tonight. I love the song we say, Lord, fear will bow in the name of Jesus. Lord, I believe this will be a church where anxiety and depression will be defeated in the name of God. Oh, Lord, as we read your word and we find out how much you're about love, oh, that we would understand that love is the greatest weapon, the greatest gift to our life. We are built to be loved and built to love. We love you, Jesus. And everybody said? Ephesians 3, we're going to pick up in 14. It's going to be on the screen. Um, so uh, read with me if you'd like, quietly though. Okay, cool. Uh, Ephesians three fourteen says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father, for whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit. It's an amazing thing. You're going to see the Trinity, Spirit, Christ, and Father right there through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts and through your faith. Paul is soaring in this part. He is flexing his academic theological muscles of showing the Trinity, but he says, this really is a run-on sentence, but he's just loving what he's writing. He's in prison. It's a few years later after the revival of Ephesus. He goes on to say, and I pray that you being rooted and established in, everybody say love, may have uh, power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp. Everybody say grasp. This is big, to grasp. How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled. Everybody say filled. Come on, we're not supposed to be on the struggle bus. We're supposed to be overflowing in life. Um, we're not supposed to go from uh, struggle to struggle, but from glory to glory. He goes on to say that you'll be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. I love the Lord always raises the bar on us. I believe that we live with a low bar in our life. We don't dream the way we should. We don't hope the way we, hope, we should hope. But the Bible shows us, you start reading your word, you'll, show, you'll see, man, God is dreaming things for your life that you couldn't even dare dream. He wants to use you for things that you never thought he could use. That's what he's trying to communicate to you. Goes on to say, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Everybody say amen. amen. Come on. I've seen this uh, in church for the last 15 years of being in full-time ministry. There are so many Christians that are stuck. They've been grasped not by love, but they've been grasped by wounds. 
They've been wounded by a man, so they make declarations like this. I will never be hurt by a man again. I'll never talk to one the same way. I'll be guarded. I will never, ever be wounded the way I was wounded. For the fella, same thing. I've been wounded by a lady, wounded by a woman. I will never let a woman hurt me again. And so that wound grasps your life and you navigate differently because of a wound that happens to you. I've seen people grasped by the church. You've been wounded by the church. You say, I'll never let the church hurt me again. I'll come into church, I'll worship, and I'll leave because last time I served somewhere, the church hurt me. I got grasped by a wound from the church, and now it's directing your steps. I've seen religion grasp people. They start falling in love with the Lord, and then they get fixated on some topic that really doesn't do anything to advance the kingdom. And so they just debate religious topic after religious topic. Oh, what do you think about this topic and this topic? And what you find out is you're not moving anywhere. All you're doing is circling the same mountain of religion and academiac, which is not bad, but if that's not what God wants you to do. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. And then Paul goes on to say, man, I want love to grasp you. And that Greek word is kata labano. Kata labano. I'm not Greek, so... Bear with me, okay? Catalabano. I tried it a ton of times in the house. It's like, Catalabano. Rachel's like, it's not Italian, okay? It's not an Italian word. It's like, Catalabano. And she's like, no, you shouldn't even say the word. I'm going to go for it anyways. That Greek word grasp is only found a few times in the New Testament. And actually what it is, is ambushed. That love would ambush you in a way that would transform your life, that love would grasp your life, that you, the love of God, sons and daughters of God will be led by the spirit of God. What is God? God is love. What does love do when it ambushes your life, when it floods your life, when it's not a thing in your life, but it's actually who you are? The Bible shows in 1 Peter 4, 18, here's just one of the fruits that happens. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. It ambushes it. Fear in your life, the love of God comes in, boom, fear gone. Because the perfect love cannot coincide with fear. Perfect love cannot coincide with religion. Perfect love cannot coincide with preference. Perfect love cannot coincide with brokenness. Perfect love redeems everything. It grasps your life. It grabs your life. There's this amazing sermon by Charles Spurgeon, who's one of my favorite authors, a.k.a. my favorite author. And he writes, uh, well, it's actually, I read a sermon that was, uh, transcribed by him is called he kissed me it's in Luke 15 and it's this one little moment in the prodigal son's story it's and he kissed me and he preaches a whole message on the Greek words of God kissing the son when he comes back if you've never heard the story of the prodigal son I don't want to assume it so I'll paraphrase it real quick if you go home go ahead and read it if you want but Luke 15 is this moment where this prodigal son leaves his father's house and thinks that the world offers more joy, love, and excitement than the home of the father. And so he leaves, he finds out the world is just going to destroy him. He comes to his senses finally. And when he starts to come to his house, the father sees him. He runs to his son and he literally jumps on top of him. You have to understand this. This is a long journey. You have to think about what the prodigal son was thinking when he was coming back. Uh, you got to think about how even dirty he was from the travel. You have to think about the shame that he was processing. And the father literally runs up and tackles him and kisses him. The Greek word when it says it kisses him is, is literally is eagerly kissed, kissed all over his face. Literally, picture the father literally seeing his son who said, I'd rather have you be dead, give me the money. And he sees his son and he runs up to him and kisses him all over his face. And what Paul is showing in this scripture is he goes, oh I, oh, I pray for the church. I pray for you. I pray for Tyler. I pray for all of us that you would understand the love of God, that he literally wants to wrap you up in his arms and just kiss you all over. 
And you may say, you don't understand what I've done. I don't think the Lord would want to do that with my life. But I believe that what changes people's life is an encounter with the Lord. And you may say, well, Tyler, that's, that's for people who aren't that intellectual. That's for people who just love experience. Well, I'm glad you said that. I brought some material. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> Blaise Pascal, one of the smartest human beings ever to live. He is uh, the guy who started uh, like statistics, a mathematician. I'll give you a little background. Pascal's intelligence was evident from a young age. So his father decided to personally educate him at home, and it paid off. When Pascal was just 16 years old, he was already making mathematical breakthroughs and uh, engaging in academic discourses with uh, professional mathematicians. By age 19, he had invented his own mechanical calculator. He was a great mathematician and the founder, one of the founders that laid the groundwork for probability and statistics. I want to read you something. November 23rd, 1654, Pascal was a Catholic and he knew of God. Oh, he knew of God. He knew of God, but he didn't know God. Hosea 4.6 says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. I might catch this real quick. What Paul is saying in Ephesians 3, and I'm going to show you this even with this experience. He's saying to the church that already has the Lord, he says, hey, you've been invited to the great banquet. You're sitting at the table, but you're not eating the fruits of the kingdom. So you've, you've said yes to God. You've experienced God, but you haven't experienced the, the oh, the greatness of the feast. You're sitting at the table, but you're not eating. He's saying to him, it's like you said yes to marriage, but instead of actually having intimacy with your spouse, you sleep in a different room and you just talk once in a while. It's a stale, cold relationship. He's saying, no, you're in the house, and now God wants an intimate relationship with you. I hope you can understand that picture. He calls us bride. It would be like having parents. He said you just said yes to God being your father, but never having your father ever hug you. And Paul is saying, you said yes to this, but you're not experiencing what it means to really have a father, to have a spouse that loves you unconditionally, to have a feast that is for you that never runs out. You went from basically being broke. You couldn't get out of sin. Now you're bawling. Your bank account has more money than you could experience, but you never make withdrawals from the bank account. And Paul is saying, you got to experience what the Lord has in the riches of the kingdom. This is an amazing picture. He's inviting the church to say, man, there's so much more for you. And so this man, who's an unbelievable, unbelievably smart man, was a Catholic, knew of God. He had this encounter with God. And I, I believe that there's different terms you can use it, but I, I, I had it when I was 16. I was bored of church. I didn't want to go to church. I loved hoops, and I loved the ladies. That was it. Just keep it real. I was not good at either, but that's okay. <laughs> Whatever. Let's proceed. My buddies would invite me to church. They'd invite me to worship nights, and they were excited to go, and I'd just be so bored at them. And I remember coming home, and I had to get home. I, I remember we were playing hoops, and I was like, I got to get home. My dad told me I got to get home. My, my dad didn't tell me that, but I had to get home because I, I was about to break down crying like I've never cried before in front of my friends because I felt the Lord pursuing me like I've never been pursued. I felt him tugging at my heart in a way that I never felt he tugged at my heart. And I remember walking to my bedroom and I fell to my face and I cried for hours and I felt loved for the first time in a way that I couldn't describe to you. I felt redeemed in a way I never thought I could be redeemed. I felt not judged in a way that I always thought I would be judged. I, I felt more free than I ever felt. And I remember crying and crying and crying and not understanding what it was. I remember calling my buddy and saying, bro, I don't know what's going on, but man, I am I, I love God. Man, let's go to church. He's like, bro, it's Tuesday. There ain't no church. I was like, man, but I love Jesus, you know. It changed my life. 
It was one of those moments I encountered the Lord and I don't chase experiences, I chase Jesus. But it's one of those moments in your life that you don't forget. I've had those a few times. And that's what's happened with Blaise Pascal. And here's what he says. The year of grace, 1654. Monday, 23rd, November feast of St. Clement, Pope, and Martyr, and others in uh, martyrology, I don't even know how to pronounce that, from about half past 10 at the night and half past midnight, he writes. Fire, just one line, he writes, fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers of the learned, uh, certitude, certitude, feeling joy and peace. Oh, I'm feeling joy and peace. God of Jesus Christ, my God, your God. Your God will be my God. Forgetfulness of the world and everything. I'm forgetting the world except God. He's only found by ways taught in the gospel. Oh, grandeur of the human soul. Righteous Father, the world has not known you. Oh, but I have known you. Goes on to say, joy, joy, tears of joy. I've, I have departed from him. They have forsaken me, the fount of the living water. My God, will you leave me? Let me not be separated from him forever. This is eternal life. They know you. The one true God, the one that you know, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. I left him. I fled him, renounced, crucified. Let me never be separated from him. He's the only kept securely by the ways taught in the gospel. Oh, eternal joy for a day exercised on the earth. May I never forget your words. Amen. He wrote those words down and he sewed them into his jacket pocket and held on to them for the rest of his life until he died and people found him in his jacket. Blaise Pascal became an apologist for the kingdom and fell in love with the Lord. That moment in his life changed him forever. The Heavenly Father pursued him and tackled him and kissed him all over his face and restored him and made him encounter something that would change his life. He got grasped by love. He got ambushed by love. Well, Tyler, that's for intellectual people, I guess. What about somebody in the holiness movement? Well, I'm glad you asked. I have some material on that also. Dwight Moody was a part of the big holiness movement, connected to the holiness movement. He says, he says this. It happened to him one day in one of his very famous accounts. Dwight Moody says, well, one day in the city of New York. Oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. Now get this. I seldom refer to it. It's almost too sacred an experience to name. I can only say that God revealed himself to me and I had such experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand, to stay his hand. That is a term used back then that basically that you were being hugged by somebody so tight that you could barely breathe. It'd be like somebody seeing you like, oh my gosh, I haven't seen you forever. And they're hugging you so like, you gotta, you're hugging me so tight, I can barely breathe. You're, you're smothering me with this love. I love it, but I can barely breathe. That's what he's saying. That God engulfed him, ambushed him with his love. George Whitfield, who was a founder of Methodism and the evangelical movement, one of the founders, he said this, oh, the freeness and the riches of God's everlasting love broke in with such a light and power upon my soul that I was often awed into silence and I could not speak. Oh, he said, stop it, God, I have to get my rest. The love, it's too much love. My, my being feelings like groaning under something insupportable. I had to ask him, stay his hand. There it is again, stay his hand. You get into a verse like Ephesians 3. And Paul says to you, and you read past it all the time, and it sounds like a nice little verse that you should put on a Christmas card or on a birthday card, but he says to me, the love of God ambush you. And may you try to start to get ambushed by how wide, how long, how high, and how deep the love of Christ is. And then there will be fullness and no more emptiness. Come on. So I have four points to my message, and I'll make them quick. My four points is how wide, how long, how deep, and guess what the last one is? How high? First one is how wide? How wide? 
You ever feel like the third wheel? You ever been that person, your friend's dating somebody and they're like, you're the, always the third wheel? You ever, anybody, anybody ever feel, I was the third wheel. I didn't get married until I was 29, okay? Been in many movies with Drew and Christina, my buddy's friends. We'd see a movie and they'd be holding hands. I'm like, oh my gosh. And I'd be like, this is great. Okay, good. I'm so glad I came. Am I even supposed to be here? Anybody ever been a third wheel? Yes, you have. Don't raise your hand. I get it, okay? Um, you ever remember in high school walking up to a table wanting to sit down and have like a, some lunch and the table was crammed and you didn't want to sit by yourself and so you're like, any room for me? And you felt like you're inconveniencing everybody to sit down by everybody. Like, all right, we'll make some room for you. And I'm like, ah, thanks everybody. <laughs> you ever been like that? Okay, I guess it's just me. Who cares, okay? Here's what Paul is trying to say. Man, there's room at the table. If you knew how wide and how big that table, the great banquet that you aren't crashing the party, that you didn't sneak in, that God prepared a place for you. If you knew how wide, oh. You ever sneak into the movies? Let's just be honest. Raise your hand. Cops are here. Yeah. It's time to pay your dues. I may have snuck into a movie or two in my life when I was younger, before I, well, actually I was saved, before I really understood what righteousness was. I'll never forget, I, I, I snuck into the movie I remember sitting there, and every, I didn't really enjoy the movie that much, because every time one of the workers from Regal Cinemas would walk in, I'd be like, oh, he knows, he knows, because <laughs> I knew I didn't pay for this seat. And what Paul is trying to say, I want to catch this real quick, let's read Ephesians 1. Oh, it's so good. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to him through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. In advance, before the world was created, come on now, before the world was created, he chose you. Come on now. I'm going to talk about it in how long, but how wide. It gave him delight to get you at the table. And you didn't pay for it, he paid for it. And I feel like there's a lot of Christians sometimes that feel like they snuck in. If you knew what I did, I could barely be a part of this. And what Paul is saying, oh, if you could just open your eyes to how wide, oh, how wide his love is for you, how big the blessing is, how much he wants to pour out the brink trups of heaven, you would totally change the way that you pray, process, and live your life. I want to go a step further with you. Imagine people coming over to your house, okay? You have some guests at your house. How weird would it be, <laughs> how weird would it be that they walk in, hey, Tyler, good to see you. Hey, so good to see you. And within like 10 minutes, they just walk into your fridge and open it up. Would we be weirded out by this a little bit? Yes, okay? They're like, oh my gosh, yes. And they take food out of the fridge, sit down, and just start eating it. Not only did they take food out of your fridge, and they're just guests, but they took your favorite leftovers, the pizza from Slice House. What were they thinking? Can we agree on this? Okay? If you're a pasta person, you were saying it for the next day, you're like, who does that? What kind of guest walks into a house and just opens a fridge and eats somebody's food? That's weird, Yes? Let's go even weirder. Imagine them using your bathroom, okay? And they walk into your bathroom, and they, you have a jacuzzi tub, and you hear the tub running, and they take a bath at your house. Would you be weirded out a little bit? Like, what are they, are they, are they taking a bath? I mean, it's a nice jacuzzi, but this, they're, who does that, right? Then they get out of there. They take your robe, go to your closet, and put on your nicest digs of clothes. They get dressed in them and come down and sit, and sit down on your couch. Would you be freaked out? Yes. You'd be like, those are my Gucci jeans. That's my Ted Baker red jacket. What? Straight up, Ted Baker, what's up? Okay, um, got it on sale at the outlets. Okay, um, you'd be freaked out. That would be one of the weirdest things you've ever seen. Now, let me weird you out even more. Oh, I'm about to weird you out. Imagine a son 
in a house, so hungry, but is afraid to go to the fridge and get food. What kind of son doesn't go to the fridge? Imagine a son so dirty, oh, so dirty, filled with shame, has his own bathroom with the greatest jacuzzi tub, the rain shower. You know what I'm talking about, the one of those rain showers? That's a dream right there. You know what I'm talking about? Just rain everywhere. And he's afraid to go take a shower. And then he's got rags on. And he's got a full closet full of brand new garbs, brand new clothes, the best of the best. If you walked into a house like that and you saw a son starving, dirty, wearing rags, you would say, this is your house. Go to the fridge. Open the door. Eat whatever you want to eat. This is your house. Be clean. Be 100% cleansed. Go enjoy being cleansed in the name of Jesus. Not only that, get those rags off and put on new clothes. This is all what Paul is trying to say. If you knew how wide, if you know how big the house was, if you know how many blessings there was in the house, you wouldn't even begin to go, ooh, God, I hope I'm not inconveniencing you right now. So many sons and daughters of the living God are living like paupers when God said, I want to pour the riches of heaven on your life. You're sitting there. You think God is a bad sharer. No, me and Rachel as married couple, we're terrible at sharing. I'd rather order another meal in between us than have her take food off of my plate. Anybody else? Yes? Yeah, if you wanted it, you should have ordered it. It's just that simple. Can we agree with this principle? Yes. Yes. You may say, Ty, that is so terrible. She won't even let me take a sip of her water. She guards that thing like it's like the last cup of water on the planet. We suck at sharing, okay? But God says, here's, here's what he says. Come up to the table. See this meal right here that I have? The filet mignon? It's for you and me. You can have as many bites as you want. You're my son. And if this filet mignon, you eat all of it, I'm going to put another filet mignon down. I'm going to put another flaming yawn down because I'm going to ambush you with love. I'm going to make you understand that this never stops. Me loving you never stops. Me blessing you never stops because I'm your father. If you knew how wide my love was, oh, if you knew, you would receive differently. You would pray differently. You would, oh, it would be so different. You would sit at the table differently. You would leave the house differently. You'd be clothed with righteousness and joy instead of shame and worry. God bless you. It was still pretty loud, though. I was like, you're trying. You're trying, Kelly. You're trying. It's okay. We love you, Kelly. You can sneeze as much as you want. Hmm. Let's look at how long. How long? Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. What spiritual blessing? Some or ever? Every. Every, yes, not ever. Good job, I tricked you. Uh, spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Oh, catch this, catch this. You were the long play. You were not plan B. When he was creating the world, he already knew you and he had it planned out. Anybody know who Bobby Fisher is? Bobby Fisher, anybody? Okay, a couple people. Wow, we got a decent amount of nerds in the house, including myself. He was a chess player, okay? He won the World Series of Chess, okay? Bobby Fisher was this young prodigy, 12 years old. Everybody's like, oh my gosh, he's gifted at chess. 
So at age 12, he started playing chess, started rising in the ranks, and he'd always have a couple moves that he'd always start with. He'd go here, and they'd go here, over and over again. Finally, he goes to the World Series of Chess in Russia. They're, they've studied all of Bobby Fischer's moves. They studied all of his moves. And so he'd move this part here and move this part here, so they knew exactly how he would open up a chess game, so they were prepared to defeat him. This is 17 years later. It's an article you can find. It's his friend telling the story. It's an amazing story. 17 years later, Bobby Fischer sits at this chess table and opens up the game with a move he's never done before. It's the ultimate long play. Bobby Fischer's long game, strong. God's long game, stronger. Picture this. A young boy at 12 saying, I'm not using this till I know that I'm going to win the World Series of Chess. I will not show this to anybody. I will not show my cards. Once I show this, I know that this is the moment that I will defeat my enemy in chess and I will become the World Series champion. For 17 years, Bobby Fischer held on to this one move, knowing that it was for that moment and that moment only. And the long play of God. Oh, catch it real quick. When Adam and Eve failed and sin entered the world and Satan thought, got them. They gave me dominion. Now I'm going to destroy mankind. What Paul is saying in Ephesians, no, no, no. No, no, no. Before the world was created, Jesus had a plan. And you were in the plan. And you were chosen. You didn't sneak in. It wasn't a plan B. When Adam and Eve failed, God said, doesn't matter. I got this play. And right when I need to play it, his name is Jesus. He's going to come to earth. The, the gates of hell will not know what hit him. He's going to die on a cross. It's going to look like he's losing. But oh, no, no. He's going to go to the grave for three days and rise again. That one move to change the whole world. The long play of all long plays. Oh, if you knew how long God has loved you. Before the world was created, God loved you. I, I can't fathom that kind of love. I can't fathom a God who says, man, I know that Tyler's going to reject me, but I'm still going to create him. I know Tyler is going to hurt and make me grieve, but I'm still going to create him because I chose him and I love him. That's the long play. I want you to catch this real quick. I want to apply this to us because we're trying to tr transform our city one city at a time, one conversation at a time. I believe in the long play. I believe in the long play that this church, we're you know, eight months old right now, but man, I believe that the next 30 years that we're going to transform a region because we're not going to try to win an argument. We're going to try to win a city. Jeff Bezos is just a business model, but he believes in the long play. He believes in losing finances for a season, diapers.com. Basically, he made diapers so cheap that you'd buy diapers on Amazon and then diapers.com goes out of business and then he raises the prices up. It's genius and it's evil all at the same time, okay? <laughs> I'll never forget when I went and saw the movie Noah. Anybody go see the movie Noah with Russell Crowe? Terrible. Just terrible, okay? I get home from the movie. If you liked it, I, I forgive you, whatever. Um, I'll never forget coming home from the movie Noah, and I got, you know what I got on right away? Facebook. Because when you're angry, you got to go somewhere to get it out of you. Can we agree with this? I was like, oh, I'm so mad right now. Get on my Facebook. And I was like, direct my hands, Lord. No, that's not what's going on, okay? So I was so angry. So I just write, Noah, terrible movie, not biblical. Don't go see it. Horrific. How dare they do this to Noah? This is not what the Lord intended for this movie. This is from Satan. Brrr, post. <sighs> Lord, you're welcome. I just saved the world. <laughs> Everybody's going to get saved now. Nobody's going to go see Noah. I protected everybody from Noah. We're good, Lord. You're welcome. The cross and now this. You're welcome. 
People are posting on this post. I'm just going to be honest. Oh, thank you, brother. I'm so glad I was going to go see that Satan movie, but not now, you know? And I was like, I, I literally just started feeding this thing, and people were like, I went and saw it. I thought it was fine. I don't even know what you're talking about. You know, and then start, some people start arguing about it, like, how dare you celebrate this movie? And I was like, what have I done? You know, I basically like, just created the Thunderdome on Facebook. I don't know how many people didn't go see the movie. I want a little battle. I want a little argument, I, I guess. I always wonder, I've never done it again, but I was like, how many people did I lose that day? How many people's ears did I lose because I wanted to win an argument in the movie Noah instead of actually just lift the name of Jesus up? I believe in the long play. I'm not here to win any debate for what's going on right now because the political climate right now is going to change in five years. I don't um, uh, diminish politics. I believe that they're important, but they're not God. What's happening right now in our culture is we are idolizing one ideology, and when you idolize, you demonize the other side. I'm not going to demonize another side. I'm going to love people. I'm going to love them some more. I'm not trying to win an argument. We're trying to win a city. Once we win a city, we're going to win the next city. This is not an overnight thing. This is us being patient. It's when somebody yells at you when you don't agree with them and you being meek instead of you being aggressive because love is meek. Love is not aggressive. Do you hear what I'm saying? Let's keep going. Third thing Paul wants us to understand, oh, that it would, that it would just ruin us in all the right ways how deep his love is, how deep his love is. You ever push anybody too far? You know, like you, their button, you're like, oh, wow, this person's chill, and then, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You ever seen that before? My button's pretty hard to find, but if you push it, it is, I, 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 I snap a little bit. I, my wife could say, I, I probably snapped 10 or less times in our whole marriage. Can we agree with this, sweetie? Yes? Yes, okay, thank you. I snapped a little bit today, and she's like, you never snap. That was so weird. I was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, I don't even know why I snapped, but anyways, okay. Um, so I don't snap a lot, but man, when you, my bush, button gets pushed, man, it's, it's, I'm just not the, the nicest guy to be around. Now, I had a dad that his button was like, like he had a hair trigger button, like you could do anything, spill a cup, ah, just blow up on you. And Paul basically goes, man, if you could understand how deep his love goes, that there is no way to get to that button for him to say, I give up on you. We're on the cross. Hear, hear this. Jesus Christ on the cross. People are mocking him. There's a time for you to flip the switch and say, all right, boom, delete him. What we needed most of that moment was forgiveness, and Jesus gave us forgiveness. Man, if we could start to process how much the Lord wants to give us things, even when we're at our worst, Oh, restoration, even when we're at our worst. I'll, I'll never forget. I'll, I'll share a story. It, it, I'm a young kid. I'm nine years old, and I'm at my buddy's house. And I'm playing a game called American Gladiators. Anybody remember American Gladiators? Yeah. Okay, they should bring it back. I think it's amazing. American Gladiators was this amazing game. Basically, they had these really buff people that definitely used steroids, but whatever. Um, they were massive, like laser. Claw, you know what I'm saying? They're just massive people. Like the person, if I was going to guess, doesn't use steroids, but if I was going to say one person in our church that would be on American Gladiators as laser would be my boy Mitch. Where's Mitch at? Laser. He'd be American Gladiator. That's an American Gladiator right there. Mitch would be like, laser. And then I'd be the contestant, and Mitch would be like, bam. Oh, okay. Anyways, so um, we have one person. If we're going to have American Gladiator Church, Mitch. Everybody's like, who is this Mitch? Mitch, you got to stand up. Show Hey, show Come on. Come on, Mitch. Show him the guns. Laser. Laser. He's so buff. Uh, Mitch uh, bats uh, third on our softball team, hits it like 500 feet, then I bat after him, and it goes like 200 feet. It's really embarrassing, but whatever, okay? 
So you go on this show called American Gladiators, and basically you would compete against them. And there was this one um, uh, thing that you would uh, do where they would have a gun that was a, um, basically a tennis ball, 80 miles per hour. And then you have Nerf guns, and you would have to shoot the top target right above the head of the gladiator. So me and my buddy watch it. We're like, let's play it at the house. So we get socks. We put up a little thing on the sliding glass door that stays up on there. Um, and then basically we have different Nerf guns. And one person is laser. And the other person is the competitor, okay? And so I'm, I'm throwing um, the socks at the little thing. And once the little board falls down, you win. And so I'm shooting the Nerf gun, I miss, and then I go for the, the socks, and finally I hit the board, I'm like, boom, I win! And my buddy's like, okay, okay, okay. I'm at my buddy's house, and so he goes, and so he takes the Nerf guns, and he doesn't shoot it, and I'm throwing socks and tennis balls at him like crazy, and he gets to this uh, part where he has tennis balls and the, um, some uh, balled-up socks, and he goes to throw it at me, and he just, it slips out of his hand. I mean, terrible throw. I mean, terrible. Goes literally almost 90 degrees, hits the lamp, shatters the lamp. I mean, just shatters the lamp. Now, I want to catch this real quick. If I shatter a lamp in my dad's house, I'm done. I'm dipped. I mean, I am in trouble. I'm going to get, just, he's going to get at me. I'm going to be grounded, everything. So I would always be like, okay, DEFCON 5, here's, we're, going to, we're, going to, we're going to hide all the evidence. Bury the lamp. It was never here. I never saw it, okay? This is how I fix our problems, okay? You think I'm laughing. You're laughing. I've actually did that before as a kid, okay? Parents are like, what happened to that light? We don't know. We don't know what happened to it. It's on the bottom part of our yard still, buried, okay? Whatever, okay? Anyways, he shatters the lamp. And I was like, all right, all right I got this, I got this. And before I can even finish saying I got this, he just starts, Dad, Dad, I broke the lamp. Nine years old, first I'm like, why are you crying, bro? You know, I'm like, oh, Dad, I broke the lamp. His dad runs in, I was like, oh my gosh, you are about to get punished, you just broke a lamp. The dad runs up to his son picks him up and hugs him and says, oh, it's okay, we can get another lamp. We can get another lamp. It's the first time I was like, I don't know that love. I've never experienced that. I'm afraid to mess up in my house. And what the Lord's trying to show us in this scripture is how deep his love is in the house. Is that when you break things, oh, don't, don't try to fix it with your own strength, but call on your father. When you get broken, don't try to fix it in your own strength, but call on your Father. What happens a lot is we get trained by our experiences to fix it ourselves and to call on ourselves, and we try to do self-improvement and self-awareness, but self-improvement, self-awareness just breaks down the self. You're supposed to call on your Father. It says this. It's a, it's a simple verse, but it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who cry out to God, and he will come and comfort you. And we need sons and daughters, literally people in the city, in the church to realize, man, we start crying out to God, Lord, we can't fix the city. We can't fix it in our own strength. It's broken. Relationships are broken. Marriages are broken. Kids' mindsets are broken. There is depression. There are so many things happening. Father, will you fix what we can't fix? Will you fix what we even broke, Lord? Will you restore a city? Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. The last part I want to share with you is, how high his love is, how high his love is. Jesus in heaven. Ephesians 2 says this, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the heart of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Oh, here we go. 
Ephesians 2, verse 4, this first word, R.C. Sproul, great author, pastor, also theologian. This is his favorite word in all of the Bible. What I'm about to read to you. But. It's his favorite word in all the Bible. He finds so much hope in this. But. God so, everybody say rich. Rich in mercy. Oh, he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Heaven right now, what, what, what this is trying to say is we need the riches of heaven to change the poverty of the world. We need the wholeness of heaven to heal the brokenness of the world. It keeps on going, it says this. Because we are united with Christ, so God can point to all of us in future ages as examples of the incredible wealth. What kind of wealth? Incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us, as shown in all he has done for us and who are united with Christ Jesus. Stop. He's trying to unpack the riches of God, how high the riches go. The Lord's grace, the Lord's love, Lord's provision, stacks on stacks on stacks on stacks. It goes all the way to the heavens. When you say yes to God, you go from being broke to going to bawling in all facets. It's a fascinating thing. Again, this, my prayer is even when I was sharing the experience of Blaise Pascal and even John Edwards had a, an amazing one, is that you would not chase that experience, but you would start to fall in love with the Lord and watch that experience happen in your life. That experience is a gift. It's not something that we manufacture. But I'll never forget when my eyes were opened to how poor I was. And I believe that people's eyes, and the Bible calls this revelation, that we, our eyes are opened to how much he loves us. Our eyes get opened to that we are adopted sons and daughters. We are adopted literally into his house. That no longer should be weird about going to the fridge. And this one, is, it's an amazing moment. I'm seven, eight years old, and I go over to my friend's house. And this friend, he was the one that was balling, had the trampoline, had the pool table, all the above. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget it. It's like it's yesterday. It's one of those vivid experiences. He opens this door to this whole other world that I didn't know existed. And it was called a pantry. And I remember the door opening and I walked inside a pantry and it was food everywhere. Gummy bears and Twinkies, cereal for days, ding-dongs. And I said, what is this? And he goes, it's a pantry. Pantry. It's an amazing moment. And he goes, whatever you want, just grab it. We'll get some and then we'll go outside and play. Me being a kid, we, I grew up really poor food stamps. I was like, stuffing my pockets with gummy bears, Twinkies, ding-dongs. Took some handfuls of Captain Crunch because that was the stuff back then. I remember walking out of that pantry and going home. We didn't have a pantry. We had some cupboards. I remember opening up my cupboards. We had a couple packs of Top Ramen in there and that was it. And the flavoring had been hijacked out of that Top Ramen. You ever been there before? Because you got you need more flavoring for the Top Ramen because, you know, it's Top Ramen. I remember going, man, we are so poor. My friend has food on food and I got nothing. It's a different story for a different day why I was poor and why he grew up in the house he did. That's just a, a different sermon. I remember going to my mom and just saying, Mom, are we, are we poor? She looked at me and she's like, yeah, we is so poor. We're on food stamps. Your dad is getting government cheese today for you. I remember just going to my room and crying and being mad at God. Why, why did you make me the poor kid? Why did you make me the kid that my dad had to drop me off blocks ahead because I didn't want anybody to see my ghetto car that my dad would drop me off in? 
why did you make me the poor kid? I only had two shirts I could wear to school. And people say, why do you always wear the same shirt? Because it's the only shirts I got. And then I found the Lord. And the Lord took me from being the poor kid to the richest kid on the block. And I remember when I said yes to Jesus and he opened my eyes to the riches of heaven. I remember walking into the word of God and seeing peace and joy. If you saw my family, I should not be who I am. It is the glory of God who has transformed a depressed kid into a joyful kid. And what we're supposed to do as sons and daughters is to let people know how high his love is, how, how much love he has, because people should hang out with you and they should walk into the pantry of heaven and say, what is this called? Oh, this is called the kingdom. This is his love. It could ambush your life too. Whatever you want, you can have it. You want some joy, you want some peace, you want some salvation, as much as you want. My daddy, he doesn't run out. This thing's always full. We are called to be a church that will transform a city, not by trying to look like the city, but being rich kids from heaven. Um, trust me, what the world has will not transform your life. It will not. What will transform your life and your marriage is the richness of heaven. If you're having a problem in your home, stop trying to get your kids into this and that. Just start praying your face off and saying, heaven, rain on this house. You want to transform a region? I get it. Vote for your, your person in politics. I think that plays a part of us helping transform. I get it. But you want to really transform a region. Watch what happens when you have the kingdom of heaven poured out on a poverty, rich, broken region. The richest, but oh, poorest region that I've ever lived in my whole life. I lived in LA. Relationship was easy in LA. I moved up here. It was the most anti-relational place I've ever lived. People are so busy for relationship. They're chasing after everything except the things that would actually satisfy their soul. Oh, money everywhere, but poverty everywhere. Man, my prayer is that this next season of our church, that you hear us talk about love all the time. It's not just some slogan. It really is. I believe it's what God came to do. He brought love himself down to a broken earth. And look what he did. Heaven changed earth. And it can do it again. And God said he can do it in even a greater way. I don't even know what that looks like, but I'm down. Sound good? Will you bow your heads with me?